Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. You too, guest boy. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, welcome to the American Liberties Wednesday Night Call. Um, as many of you may or may not know, <clears throat> I've been down and out with the with head colds and all kinds of stuff, especially in the last uh, a few months. Health wise, it hasn't been really that great, but I think things are starting to turn around now. I, I'm feeling quite well and uh, getting back on my feet, but I have a a terrible amount of uh, catch-up to do. So uh, I'm not going to be doing a whole bunch of emailing or looking at my emails uh, in detail or anything like this because I'm cleaning out my office, getting rid of a lot of the old stuff. I made a decision that, you know, even a lot of this old stuff that helped me get to where I am today regarding uh my knowledge about the income tax and so forth and all the foundational stuff and and I've always believed that good foundational information is always always a necessity but with that being said there's enough going around on on that on the uh, on the internet today and I don't need it in paper uh in books and stuff like this the only books that I want to keep is the uh, code breaker, the Section 83 equation, and stuff like that, um, you know, material like that that I can use on a daily basis. And um, But in my time in laying in bed uh, and just getting away from the computer and the telephones for three or four days, I sat around and started thinking as I'm watching the news about, uh, you know, the people in, in Oregon and how, you know, here is a guy that um, that people in the community thought enough about and started a, you know, uh, what they did. I mean, and what they uh, what they done is tremendous, uh, whether whether they might have gone too far or not, that I'm not going to be a judge on that. I'm not going to decide. Um, I think that the government is going way, way too much on uh, on against us. So whatever we do is probably not enough. But on that on that issue, uh, they did what they did, and. Things are maybe starting to happen. A lot of you saw the video that I passed out today that the uh, the representative in Congress who wrote the law even said, the government is going too far. These agencies will take a law, put their own interpretation on it, which is not the intent of what Congress had to uh, to do. I, I can't eat right now. Um, the... Um, uh, had the uh, 
it wasn't the intention of Congress, and 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 this is what we do, and you know, and and the guy that sent me the email made me think about that uh, because he he pretty much said the same thing, you know, put take take the Oregon out and put in the IRS. For that matter, put in any agency or any government employee. They want to make, you know, the spin. They want to spin it to to their own benefit. And this is where Dave Maryland has done such a phenomenal job in in for us to main to maintain a focus. You know, keep your eye on the dot. Don't look anywhere else because. When they put a spin on it, if you know the material well enough, you can just say, "Well, look, that doesn't that is not, that is not the solution. That is not the remedy. You got to, you know, tell me how did you use section 83 uh to determine that I may gross income or the, or you know, and um, or taxable income." And they can't do it. And and they'll try to get you to go off here and there and say, wait a minute, let's let's drag it back, you know. And and there's a lot more to it. I mean, I can go on for hours. <coughs> Which I'm preparing myself now for tax court. And 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 it's really gonna be kind kinda interesting because the guy that I'm working with but wants to focus only on the computer on you know from the GAO office how you know um it's it's not trustworthy it's unreliable well that's that's fine and 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 I'm and I and I sit well with that because the question's got to come up where the information came from who put the information into um, the computer, and 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 what and where did he get his knowledge or his information that I may gross income? Did he did he go through the Section eighty three process? I mean, you know, this can go on for some time, and I'm going to need everybody's help with this, and and not help me. Well, it'll help me personally. But the more people that get involved in understanding that what we have at wevgov.com, W-E, the letter V as in Victor, gov, G-O-V, dot com, and go to the federal taxation page, and you'll get a grasp, and if everybody gets that, and for those who are on Twitter, please um, connect with me because, you know, we need to tweet this out. I want to get this out all over the country. I want, and, and this is my goal, okay, and I'm, and I'm going to say it, and then I'm going to turn it over to Dave. But this is my goal. A lot of you are going to think I'm crazy, but I want to raise $3 million this year. And I'm going to do it, and I'm going to stay focused on a, a several, just a few things. One, my crowdfunding and my crowd sharing. That is that those are going well now. Crowd 
funding is 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 at a standstill with me, although it's going. But you know, anybody wants to talk to me about it, I will. And crowd sharing is awesome for for different purposes, which again I'll talk about on another call. And then then of course the we uh, uh, we dot com and and OneCoin. Now, OneCoin, you know, we got, you know, my link and Dave's link, and i re- like to have everybody on this call just join under Dave, and Dave will put his um, uh, uh, link in, 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 in the chat for, for the people on the chat to, to see it. Go ahead and join, and you'll talk to me or rather Craig Patterson and or Craig Patterson, and we'll help you get started and show you what to do because – that is a money maker, and I and it hasn't even yet begun. Okay, so with that, through these programs, we're going to raise three million dollars, and when we do, and or as we're raising it, books are going to the code breaker, the Section eighty three equation is going to get into the hands of every accountant in this country. Every and and lawyers in this country and IRS agents, people are going to be able to give them to the IRS agents. I can see signs going up along the highways and byways about letting the truth be known that the I the the truth right there, your tax uh, your tax break is right there in front of you, and you never saw it. And it took Dave Maryland to bring the to shine the light on it. You never saw it. It's always been in front of you, and now you got to wake up and take advantage of it. You got to. And we got to get people like people in Oregon and the people that were on the Bundy Ranch. We need people all over the country in every local lo- location sitting in front of the legislature's office and the IRS office with signs that we don't want to repeal the IRS code. We don't want uh, fair tax issues. We don't want nothing but the IRS to comply with the law, okay? Just comply with the law as it is written. Follow the law like you expect the American people to do, and we're fine. Okay, we're fine, and that's all we need to do. And I don't know. I know a lot of people are thinking, "Well, God, this guy's off the bandwagon. What has he been smoking for the last couple of days?" Well, if you don't think you can do it, it ain't going to happen. And we don't need you if you don't think it's going to happen. Go home. Go do what you want to do. But I've been in this fight for too long, bouncing around too long. And now we need to focus. And by golly, with your help and, and, and your input and what we have, we have everything we need to get what we want done. All we need is inspiration, and, and I have it every day. And all we need is the information, and we got it right here in our hands, and we need the people to follow the law. Okay? And because I'm looking at Dave's notes, for those who do not have the flash drive on the videos yet, you got to get it. Because right here, in a nutshell, you got to remember the basic principles. 
Congress may lay and collect income taxes. I am a citizen of the United States. The tax code applies to me. The law is perfect. The law must be complied with all of it. The law must apply openly and with indifference. Statutes and regulations are intrinsic evidence. Intrinsic evidence. What is the statutes and regulations? I mean, you can't get better than that, people. You really can't. And I and and I like to thank uh, Bob in South Dakota and for for doing what he wanted to do in the courts there where we still are waiting and now we're going to be doing one in North Carolina and um and and we're going to get that off the road very shortly and if anybody wants to be a party to that again get with me at americanliberties.llc at gmail.com and uh, if you know my phone number, it's on all of my emails. South Carolina, excuse me, Richard. Uh, uh, not North Carolina, but South Carolina. And uh, and get with me, and I'll connect you up with Richard in South Carolina, and uh, and we'll and we'll get you going. It's a limited time, okay, to be as you know the number one on the complaint. So. Uh, other than that, and after that, you can be a joiner. But it's really great to be a part of the uh, uh, lawsuit because you can say you sued the government and they still can't answer the questions, okay? So with that being said, um, I'd like to introduce the guy that's really a motivation in my book uh, that has a lot of knowledge. He's very, very focused, and um, and his name is Dave Merlin. Dave, you're on the phone. Well, thanks, Chris. That's the first time anybody's ever said that I'm very bogus. <laughs> well, I don't have my teeth. He knows it happens all the time. Happens all the time. Yeah, welcome everybody to the call. Uh, it's. Uh, January 13th, 2016, nothing you'll hear me say is intended as legal advice. Anything that sounds like that to you, just consider it something somebody else might do on a planet far, far away where the law matters. It doesn't matter here. I prove it on a daily basis. Believe it. Uh, Chris was reading to you from a publication that comes with the flash drive containing the seven video segments that I... Uh, extracted from a series of small lessons I taught a group here in Seattle in 2003, or taught to a group. And uh, the publication is called uh, In a Nutshell. And if you have the criminal complaint that I filed in Congress that just turned uh, 10 years old two weeks ago, you have a, a portion of that 180-page filing that's called um, Abstract of Primary Claims. It's essentially the same document. It's where uh, I take a whole bunch of assertions from the government one by one, and I explain why it's false. 
I don't owe Social Security because blah, 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 ABC, XYZ. I don't have to file a 1040 tax return because of this. I don't have to pay Chapter 1 income taxes because of this. I don't owe a tax on the value of my labor because of this. I take all those different allegations and I feed them through my 1994 treatise, my list of conclusions about the differences between the IRS and the tax code to explain why each of those allegations is false. And then when you listen to these conference calls, you watch those seminars on that flash drive, when you've read the code breaker, the Section 83 equation, you'll see that nothing has changed. Since 1994, when I completed my studies, uh, it's the inside mechanics of the tax code. I've looked at it from the ground up and from the top down and everywhere in between and in the in the criminal complaint to Congress, I briefed several of these conclusions, the top of the list, the heaviest lifting arguments, uh, top of the list, and uh, with the presumption that I'm correct about the operation of the law, have they committed crimes? Oh, yes. Extortion, racketeering, uh, mailing threatening communications, conspiracy against rights, and so I wrote a criminal complaint after having written the brief that proves all these crimes to have been committed and filed it with 80 members of Congress, as my regulars have heard already. And uh, anybody new on the call, uh, pay special attention to the disclaimer. None of this is legal advice. Uh, I've prevented uh, my treatise uh, with Chris's help and my help, my treatise has prevented more than a dozen indictments where we've gotten calls from people that said the Department of Justice closed the grand jury proceedings or the the uh, IRS halted their criminal investigation. And that's because when you've subscribed to my particular approach to the tax code, you have a much better understanding than anyone's had before when the government has looked at them and said they have a good faith misunderstanding of the law and so they aren't willful. If they've evaded taxes or if they've failed to file, they weren't willful when they did it because they have a good faith misunderstanding of the law. And uh, John Cheek, Lloyd Long, Vernice Kuglin, and a couple of others have gotten uh, jury verdicts where the jury said these people aren't willful because they have a long and possibly expansive record of debate with the IRS in their administrative file. They've been going back and forth for years and years on particular questions uh, that the IRS never really answered. They never answered the source of their authority. They never answered uh, the nature of the income tax. They never answered this. They never answered that. And in none of the in none of those instances did anybody have affirmative claims. They had mostly questions that are born out of ignorance instead of the questions I ask that 
the government has to answer to disprove my conclusions. I have conclusions first. If they dare tell me I'm wrong, well then how do you how do you know this? Prove it. How does Section 83 operate in your conclusion that I owe a tax on the value of my labor? Uh, isn't it true that you had a tax code that didn't even mention citizens of the United States until you wrote that regulation under Section 1? You can't do that. The 16th Amendment says Congress can only collect this tax. It has to be a statute. That's what you did, isn't it, servant breath? So my questions arise from my conclusions instead of questions arising from ignorance such as the 537 questions that we the people had. Uh, Bob Schultz and we the people, they had a stable of experts, former IRS agents, uh, Sherry Jackson, very accomplished as an IRS agent and forensic fraud investigator. And she quit the IRS and toured the country saying, I don't believe I have a duty. There is no law that requires you to pay. And they still indicted her. How do you look at somebody who goes around the country saying they don't have a duty and then tell the grand jury they, they think they have a duty? So nothing is a guarantee. You can't predict corruption. But getting back to we the people, they had 537 questions. My treatise answers the first 250 questions. And the answers to the first 250 questions renders the remaining 287 questions moot. So I've already been through the Patriot movement, clear through everything they teach. And uh, uh, my approach, I don't, you know, there's a guy here in Seattle that's doing good work getting liens and levies released, but I don't have the inspiration to do liens and levies because there's no jury involved. Uh, I specialize in in uh, avoiding or preventing criminal proceedings by educating somebody to the point where they can actually argue certain issues under uh, the tax code inside the box to prove to the IRS that they're somebody that the government just doesn't want on the witness stand in their own trial. That's my focus. Now, I got an email there's a lot of damage that can be done through ignorance. And I got an email about Americans for a Free Republic, AFR.org. And they have the Equal Protection Amendment, the new Equal Rights Amendment, and a proposed 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Section 1, Cong Congress shall make no laws with rates that do not apply equally to all required taxpayers. That's a flat tax. Section 2, Congress shall make no laws conveying tax exemptions, deductions, or rebates that do not apply equally to all required payers of said tax. How about that? Whoopee. It's just a fair tax effort, and uh, they go on to complain about how uh, people that are rich enough to afford accountants and rich enough to need accountants can arrange their affairs to diminish maybe altogether. Uh, the amounts they ultimately pay the government at the end of the year. And they justify it with a 15% tax rate uh, for everybody. And uh, the um, and the federal government will derive through income taxation the same amounts that it derives now. 
and so we wouldn't need the IRS, wouldn't need the tax code, and that way the amount that they steal from us right now would become mainstream legitimate revenue. And that's the damage done through ignorance, is to say we need a flat tax. Before you do anything like that, I want to know the tax code imposes a tax. It's obvious Social Security has always been theft. These people have never even looked at the tax code. And so all of that theft would then be lawful. It wouldn't be theft at all. <laughs> and so don't do it. Now, I'm going to uh, put in the chat the links that I tried to put in there uh, at the beginning of the call were too long. So let me try this again. Don't put anything in the chat, anybody. I want these two links to be together. I took off the HTTP at the beginning of the address so that the whole link would fit in the chat. These are two cases about, uh, and this is, this is about the law, and the government lost both of these cases. The second case cites prominently the first case. The first case is 1952. The second case is June of 2015, just last summer. And it shows you that uh, the rule of law, if you know how to plead law, if you really know what you're talking about, uh, the government does not get away with violations of due process. And knowledge of the law is the the best protection. I've got a, uh, before we get into these two cases, let me mention, uh, I told you quite a while back that my treatise was going to be filed onto the a circuit court out of a uh, tax evasion case, guilty plea of one count, and then he was going to appeal based on actual innocence. And they wouldn't accept my briefing because he uh, stayed with his attorney on appeal. And they said, you have an attorney on appeal, so don't file anything else. And no, we're not going to consider your briefing. Well, the circuit court rejected his appeal. And so now he wants me to write my appeal for the U.S. Supreme Court. So uh, it's a... Uh, a uh, what would you call it? It's a mindful consideration. The case now has to undergo for me to decide exactly which issues should go to the Supreme Court, how to frame them, and uh, you can bet that one of them is going to be ineffective counsel because in a tax case, they don't have a single attorney they can appoint to somebody that needs an attorney who has an operating knowledge of the tax code how is that competent counsel the rights to counsel are the rights to effective counsel and if a counsel was ineffective and the government appointed them your rights to counsel have been defeated in Alaska 2008 U.S. versus Warner, criminal tax case. 
Um, he fired his public defender and said, uh, I want a public defender that has a working knowledge of the tax code, one that has an understanding of tax code section 83 that explains how to tax all compensation. And the government responded saying, we have nobody uh, to satisfy this request, meaning we don't have a single attorney we can appoint to the guy that knows anything, that has a working knowledge of the tax code. So um, this challenge, ineffective counsel, and also void for vagueness, because we know, again, from the Hybertson case, filed last May in U.S. District Court, that the government can't even provide an interpretation of tax code section 83, even though they've had this issue for 23 years. While all these cases come down that say section 83 applies to all compensation for services, oh yeah. It governs the taxation of compensation. Oh yeah. But we can't tell you how to interpret it. They don't train on it. And so it's a forgotten paragraph of law, section 83A. So I'm not dreaming like Pete Hendrickson. Section 1341, everybody, file this kind of tax return and I'll see you in prison. This is about the statute that they say explains how to tax all compensation for services. Uh, services rendered by an employee, self-employed individual, or a corporation. All compensation for services. And they don't even train on it and they won't go on record with their own interpretation of it. They did once, and I pointed out that their interpretation of the law is defective under a host of Supreme Court cases that say you can't interpret that phrase that way. So I've, I've narrowed it down to precisely one phrase in one regulation. So um, I get to write a Supreme Court brief for this guy, a petition, which contains a briefing, a framing of the questions, a description of how the decision below is inadequate or altogether mistaken. So stay tuned. And a gentleman in South Carolina wants to file his own Administrative Procedures Act lawsuit, such as the one we've been discussing here on 87488, and a couple of shows devoted to it on my archive at 59615. Now, back to these uh, two links that I put in the window. Anybody that's just on the phone, get ready to write. If you've been listening to the, uh, the last calls over the last few weeks, you've heard these cases mentioned before. Get ready to write. The two links are on scholar.google.com. Scholar.google.com in the search window. You want to type in Morissette, M-O-R-I-S-S-E-T-T. It's 342 U.S. 246. That's Morissette, M-O-R-I-S-S-E-T-T-E, 342 U.S. 246. That's a 1952 case. The next one is Elonis, E-L-O-N-I-S, E-L-O-N-I-S. And the number on this case is 135 
Supreme Court, 2001. That's 135 F period CT period, 2001, 2015. Now, uh, Morissette was convicted. Uh, He went to trial on a particular federal charge, 1948, thereabout. And uh, the judge instructed the jury a very particular way. And his counsel argued, that's not the way you're supposed to instruct the jury. And the judge says, too bad. And so they appealed it, and the circuit court said, ah, everything's fine. And they appealed to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, excuse me, everything is not fine. This case is totally insignificant, except for the fact the way they instructed the jury, which has far-reaching ramifications for federal criminal uh, litigation. It was totally insignificant. The guy was sentenced to his choice. You can pay us $200 fine, or you can spend two months in prison. This is the dividend of resolve. Look at how much he gained by his resolve to go all the way to the Supreme Court. It paid huge dividends. The government had uh, basically pigeonholed a fundamental tenet of criminal jurisprudence and left it there and didn't use it, didn't consider it. The judge wouldn't consider it. The prosecutors didn't consider it. And the guy lost because of that. But when he got to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said, excuse me, but there's this pigeonhole over here with this fundamental tenet in it. Let's take that tenet out and look at it. Hmm, when you look at this tenet, this guy's innocent. You should have instructed the jury a totally different way. There's a rule of law that the government simply set aside in Morissette. Morissette was a, uh, he operated a junk business and a fruit stand in the summer. Let's see, no, uh, hang on. There's a, uh, Morissette by occupation is a fruit stand operator in the summer and a trucker and scrap iron collector in the winter. An honorably discharged veteran of World War II, he enjoys a good name among his neighbors and has had no blemish on his record more disreputable than a conviction for reckless driving. That was Morissette, okay? And in Michigan, there was a practice bombing range that the Air Force used where they would drop dummy bombs Uh, metal casings, uh, you know, 36 inches long, I think they were, full of sand with some gunpowder in them to make a puff of smoke so the pilot could could observe how well his aim had been when he made his bombing run. And from time to time, the government would go out there with a bulldozer and scrape up all of these dummy shell casings into big piles where they just rust away in the weather. Morissette was a deer hunter, and everybody hunted deer on this this uh, bombing range because it was well known for uh, having a lot of deer in season. And he went out deer hunting one day and failed to bag a deer, and he thought that 
to defray the costs of uh, going out there hunting, he could take a bunch of these shell casings and go and sell them as scrap metal. So he scraped up three tons of them, broad daylight, uh, went and drove his tractor over them to flatten them out, and then went to market and sold them as scrap metal, never trying to conceal his act and made full disclosure to the investigators when they asked him, did you take those shell casings off of government land? He said, yeah, I was out there. I did this. I did that, A, B, and C. Here's here's everything I did. Everything's fine. They said, no, it's not fine. He sold the shell casings for $84, and the government indicted him for uh, stealing government property. And he said... (laughs) They were abandoned. They're in piles. They're going to rust away. I didn't think anybody, I thought it was abandoned property. And the judge told the jury at district court that uh, I will not let you consider whether or not he intended to steal. He was on somebody else's property. He took property he knew wasn't his, and so he was stealing. And if you believe him, he said he was on their property, uh, on the government's property. If you believe the shell casings belonged to the government, and they did, and if you believe that he took them and he says that he did, then he's guilty, which is just what the government says he did. And so if you believe him or you believe the government, he's guilty. And I'm not going to let you consider whether or not he intended to commit a crime. And the appellate court agreed. And he went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, excuse me, but even though the statute doesn't require that he have a conscious will to commit a crime, you have to read it into this statute. And they overturned his conviction, saying he was entitled to a jury instruction on criminal intent. His conviction is void. Hooray for the rule of law. Next... In the Alonis case, 2015, they cite Morissette. Alonis uh, is a rapper, and you know what rappers do. Uh, They spew hatred, filth, and everything in between. And on Facebook, he had posted a bunch of uh, ballistically violent rhetoric about his ex-wife to the tune of... uh, well, the best place to go to fire a mortar at her house is the cornfield beside her house because there's a service road you can get away on uh, out of the cornfield. And he said that he had enough explosives to take care of the state and federal police so he wasn't worried about them. And hell hath no fury like an angry man with a shotgun in a middle school. Just way over the top. And he was indicted for uh, transmitting in interstate commerce, the internet, a threat to kidnap or injure. And he, uh, I think he signed a plea agreement, but he reserved the right to appeal the court uh, and its refusal to grant him a jury instruction about criminal intent. They said, no, we go by the reasonable uh listener standard. If a reasonable listener of the comments thinks that the comments indicate a threat of harm, injury, 
then you're guilty. And it wasn't at all about his criminal intent. And so he appealed, and the circuit court said, yep, that's right. Yep, Uh, the reasonable person standard. Yep. And he appealed all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, excuse me, but way back in 1952, we had to teach you the same lesson. You've pigeonholed this essential element of criminal intent. And when we take it out of the pigeonhole and look at it, we find that he was entitled to a jury instruction at trial that he has to have criminal intent to be guilty. It's not the reasonable person standard. So, uh, and that's the reasonable listen, uh, listener, uh, the person who reads the post on Facebook. If they believe that uh, harm could come or is promised, is imminent, then you're guilty. That's not the standard at all. And so his conviction was vacated by the Supreme Court because of the rule of law. A month after this, there was another case coming up through the Supreme Court. Alyssa Martinez, E-L-L-I-S-A Martinez. She had uh, emailed a radio station and said, uh, yeah, it's about time we went down to the school board and taught them all about the Second Amendment. Let's make some news. And she was convicted under that same threat statute as Alonis. And uh, in her case, they argued that uh, the indictment was null and void because it failed to allege all essential elements of the crime. It failed to accuse her of acting with criminal intent. And the court said, oh, no, that's fine. If it just tracks the language of the statute, if it, if it just says that she knowingly transmitted in interstate commerce a threat to kidnap or injure, that's all they have to say. And she appealed it, and the appellate court said, yep, that's the way it goes. And so she went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said, based on the Alonis decision, her conviction is vacated. They wrote one sentence. They didn't write a decision. They wrote one sentence to say, based on this other case where we did write a big old decision, based on that other case, her conviction is vacated, meaning based on the Alonis decision, we find that her indictment is indeed fatally flawed because it doesn't accuse her of all essential elements. So it went back to her circuit court, and her circuit court said, well, you know, uh, the Supreme Court just dealt us a blow. Uh, Based on the Supreme Court ruling, we find that the indictment was defective in violation of the Fifth Amendment because it proves the grand jury was never instructed on the essential element of criminal intent. And under the Sixth Amendment, because it proves that she was never instructed by the defendant, as, uh, by the uh, indictment, as to the nature of all the charges against her. And so the case that we decided where she was guilty before she went to the Supreme Court is hereby overturned, as well as the Alibud decision we relied upon to reject her appeal when it first came through. So in 1952, the government was exposed as having dispensed with an essential element of the crime, criminal intent. And in 2015, they needed reminding 
let's see, 52, that's 50, 63 years later, the same offense committed by the government. We took an essential element out of consideration. And here's how they did it. They go to the grand jury and they just track the language of the statute. And most criminal statutes don't have uh, the required mindset indicated in the language of the statute because Congress presumes it's such an old standard that we don't need to articulate it in every single case. And uh, so they don't submit it to the grand jury. Did this person intend to break the law? And they get the indictment, and then they beat up the defendant until the defendant pleads guilty. We're going to indict your wife by the end of the week if you don't sign this guilty plea. We're going to indict your coworkers, or uh, we're going to supersede the indictment with a bunch of other charges or whatever. And they heap all these threats on top of the defendant to get them to plead guilty so the criminal intent is never part of the equation. But in these two cases, these three cases actually, the defendant said, I have the resolve to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And look at the difference it made. The resolve to go all of the way to the Supreme Court. Obviously, in all three cases, it was difficult to get the law applied correctly until they got to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court gets between seven and 8,000 petitions per year. One or two percent of those petitions make it past the clerks to the justices before being denied. And then the justices deny a whole bunch more that get the review. And they decide only basically several cases of all the cases that are sent to the Supreme Court. So, yeah, it's a, it's a mountain to climb. And it can easily give somebody the impression that we're not operating under the rule of law when it comes to the appellate court. Plenty of instances, that's the case. And then you appeal to the Supreme Court and it doesn't get heard, bang. Now, if the appellate court said this is an unpublished decision, that means it can't be cited in other cases without the permission of the court you're trying to cite it to. And uh, so if it's an unpublished case, but faulty, it stands that much less of a chance of being heard by the Supreme Court because it's unpublished. Even though it's, uh, even though it's faulty, we don't have to hear it because it won't be used again. And so innocent people bake in prison. Now, uh, these people went all the way to the Supreme Court and their cases were heard. Uh, that's really the, uh, the amazing uh, attribute right there is the fact that the Supreme Court actually heard their cases. Man, that's tough. So when I say I'm going to write a Supreme Court petition for a guy on these uh, tax issues, I have to choose very carefully because your cases simply don't get heard by the Supreme Court unless they're in uh, just this one little fraction of a percentile that the Supreme Court actually hears. And to say I'm going to do this that's wonderful to say you're going to do it. Uh, I've written several Supreme Court petitions. By October term of 98, I had made it past the clerks to the justices twice out of only five attempts on tax law. 
And uh, that was before I had the case law that proves they had misinterpreted 1.83-3G and the phrase any property. So uh, I'm totally confident that I can do this. Uh, I've done it before and come very close. I'll frame the questions as best I can and as broadly as I can. And when you listen to how broad this question is for the Supreme Court, is effective counsel an appointed attorney who has no working knowledge of the tax code? Boy, that's a that's a big, broad question that's inescapable, and it has nothing to do with whether or not you owe a tax. So I stepped back and took a much broader picture. You know how you could be standing in the middle of a little city in uh, in Missouri, let's say, standing in it. You see buildings all around you, and then you switch into Google Earth and you zoom up to where you're looking at the city from 10,000 feet high. You can't even make out a single person from 10,000 feet. It's just a blur. Then you go five miles high, and then 50 miles high. Now what does that city look like? That's what I just did with this question. Sure, I got Section 83. I got the fact we're only named in regulation under Chapter 1, and uh, how can they do this? And I got the lower court decision. And you zoom out, and you look at it, as if it's all really small, but you've got this great big problem over here under the Constitution. i got rights to effective counsel. Effective counsel is competent counsel. How can you call my attorney competent when he doesn't have a working knowledge of the tax code? See how I just, uh, I, I went around everything. Because this is not about me being right about the tax code. It's about a man that's in prison. And so his liberty is my first and primary concern. Period. It always has to be. Or I couldn't call myself an advocate. So uh, that's what I get to formulate to the Supreme Court is a couple of huge inescapable questions about the injustices visited on the public by an IRS that hides behind the complexities of the code in the in the very particular and specific ways I've briefed. But I'm going to ask the questions in very broad terms about can you really do this and stay within the Constitution? And of course we know they can't. But with, uh, no one can do it like I can do it because of the history I've developed between the taxpayer and the IRS. That's all. Wasn't that easy? No. It was a bitch. All these years of uh, jumping in and out of people's cases, trying to help them, uh, putting people on the right track before the indictment comes down to hopefully prevent the indictment. Um there's uh I can compare people who were not indicted with people who were indicted when in fact their history was identical. And the only difference between the two, the one that was indicted and the one that was not indicted, the only difference is one of them subscribed to my approach and learned my arguments. So they're arguing statute instead of concept. 
or myth. So I'm not saying that state citizens do not exist. Man, there's a ton of evidence that says they do. There's a ton of evidence that says there's two different jurisdictions. There's a couple of uh, tenets of the Constitution that say you can't govern under two masters. So I'm not saying that argument is invalid. I'm saying I know what the government does to them. And when you're arguing statute instead, based on the cases that the government has lost, uh, you're a different defendant. And that's the defendant that I try to make you in advance of being charged. So uh, uh, stay tuned, everybody. Now, uh, there's another lawsuit that's going to be filed in South, or in, uh, South Carolina. And um, we're still waiting on a decision from the first one that was filed last May in South Dakota. They haven't rendered a decision yet. On uh, last week's call, I told you that a motion for a new attorney had been filed by the Department of Justice. They want this other guy to be allowed to represent the government. And the court has already responded saying, yeah, sure, come on in. And so I expect the first attorney will file a notice of withdrawal from the case or she might stay on the case because uh, this second attorney is in Washington, D.C. And if he writes for the case, they're still going to need a placeholder attorney in South Dakota. So she'll probably stay on the case and appear to argue the motions he writes. But I don't know why they would do that if the case is going to get dismissed. Because it's been four months since the government filed their rebuttal. In uh, They filed a motion to dismiss. The plaintiffs filed an opposition. And the government filed a rebuttal to the opposition four months ago, September 14th. And so it's four months. I figure the thing's going to be dismissed. But uh, why would they need another attorney on the case? I think it's because they've been told it's not going to be dismissed. But we'll have to wait and see for sure. Um, we just simply can't say that uh, affirmatively at this point. And somebody else in South Carolina is going to go ahead and file that same type of lawsuit. And it gives the plaintiffs the uh, the right to say, you know, uh, I even sued the government for proof the tax code applies to America, per, Americans, and they can't debate me on four or five statutes. <laughs> and that's what uh, that's the battle I wage. I got four or five statutes; they can't even talk about them. They can't even talk. And uh, when it get, comes down to that, and these two. Uh, these five statutes comprise two arguments. The first one is, well, I know I'm not Social Security. That's always been theft. So I'm left just with Chapter 1, and I'm only named in a regulation in violation of the 16th Amendment if I'm a citizen of the United States. And number two, you deprive me of Section 83 to tax the value of my pay. All property is cost, including labor. It says, it says so right here. Just those two arguments. The tax code doesn't apply to citizens of the United States, and it doesn't impose an income tax on the value of labor. What else is there to say? I just killed capital gains and tax on pay. So, um, so life is good. Uh, the frying pan, the griddle is hot, and uh, 
we're putting the government's bacon on it as we speak. So uh, let's see. Uh, no, they haven't notified me if the case is going forward. Uh, it seems like the Supreme Court needs more help. Avid Hut 99 says it seems like the Supreme Court needs more help. Man, here's the nail you just hit on the head. Since the three branches of government were established, I don't mean created by the Constitution, but I mean actually established, saying, well, we got a Constitution that says we got these three branches of government. We need a Department of Justice over here. We need the Capitol building over here for the legislative branch. And we need a building for the Supreme Court. Since that time, has the Department of Justice for Criminal and Civil Litigation on behalf of the United States government, has that grown very much? It's in everybody's bedroom. It's everywhere. It's um, ubiquitous, omnipresent. Since that point, has the legislative branch grown at all? Well, they started with how many states, how many representatives, how many senators, and now they have how many representatives, how many senators? Yeah, it's grown a lot. And each one of them has how many assistants? Each one, each office in Congress, their yearly budget is how much? They get how much as a pension when they leave Congress? Every month? Yeah, it's grown a great deal. And then you look at the Supreme Court. Has it grown? No. It hasn't grown. Do you think in 1800 they were getting seven to 8,000 petitions a year? No. And now they are. So... It seems like the Supreme Court needs more help. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because look at all the carnage dealt to us by the appellate level. And uh, mine is not to figure out why Richard in Dallas. Uh, my my role is to sit out here and gripe about it until they do it, uh, until they solve the problem. <laughs> so uh, that's one source of the deprivation of due process. You're right, Richard. So anyway, uh, it puts the likelihood of the law being upheld further and further out of reach, uh, beyond our grasp, unless that one needle in the haystack makes it all the way to in front of the justices and the justices take an exception to it saying, that's a really peculiar needle from this haystack. Why don't we decide this case? And I gave you three instances about criminal intent where the resolve to go all the way to the Supreme Court is what paid the dividend. And this gentleman that's in prison right now on a guilty plea for tax evasion uh, asked me to write his Supreme Court briefing. He contracted with me way back when. I coached him through his plea agreement with the promise that I was going to uh, follow him all the way through the Supreme Court. And here we go. That opportunity is at hand. Uh, the link to 
my OneCoin sponsorship page is, let's see, I think I can copy and paste here. No, I can't do it. Um, I'll do it. If you actually, if you right-click on it, it'll give you the option of copy. Yeah. And there you go. Uh, OneCoin.eu slash sign up slash the traveler. And uh, some folks are making a lot of money. Uh, if you went to wevgov.com and click on enter, get into the website, on the top of the first page, you'll see a banner that says OneCoin is taking the uh, the global cryptocurrency market by storm, something like that. Click on that, and it'll take you to the same page. And uh, just had a, a conversation just the other day with somebody, a friend of mine who's in it, and they said that uh, they're making about ten grand a month on it, and that's good money. Uh, that's excellent money. Think of what you could do for your your family or yourself or your church with uh, that kind of money coming in. A generous millionaire can help a lot more people than a generous pauper. So money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So um, if you do the right things with it, uh, I'm sure that the high and mighty would want you to be wealthy. So never feel guilty about making money. Uh, there's nothing like the face of a person that has just been bailed out by the the grace of a stranger. Uh, the, they'll just wonder, how did this ever happen to me? Like, uh, I'll go to the park beside the courthouse downtown Seattle. And when I say park, it's very small. It's only like a couple hundred feet by a couple hundred feet with a few trees growing in there. And the homeless people end up there and they sleep beside the courthouse and beg during the day. And uh, I'll take a uh, sleeping bag and a bag of clothes, and uh, I'll put, you know, what I can afford, maybe 40 or or $100 in a pair of socks at the bottom of the bag, and I'll just go up and sit beside one of them and say, this is a new sleeping bag uh, for for very cold weather. And here's a bag of clothes. Don't open the clothes around other people because there's a pair of socks at the bottom with uh, some money in it for you so nobody else knows you have money. I wish it could be more. See you later. And you look at the look on their face like <laughs> like they just stepped out of, a, out of a war zone into paradise. Uh, you, you can't buy that. So never feel guilty about having money. Anyway, question and answer, and uh, then why don't we call it a day, Chris? All right. If anybody has any questions, is star eight on on the telephone. If you have any questions, just put them in the chat so we can see them. And um, and no question is too stupid. We may laugh a little bit, but you know, other than that. Uh, Every question is good. Is it procedural for the uh, SD court 
to at some point announce it's going forward? Well, you know, uh, I can answer that by by an example of what happened to a friend of mine uh, of Liberty Dollar. He got convicted, and uh, and he waited pretty close to something like two or three years before sentencing because the judge knew it was totally wrong. And, in fact, in the decision, um, in, in one of the decisions, I, I forget exactly what it was, uh, one of the judges said that uh, they really far reached to get this guy convicted. And... Um, and when and finally when they did sentence him, it, you know he 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 never saw the inside of a jail. I, I mean it was that uh, it was that uh, lenient. And uh, but it you know two or three years to sentence a guy, uh, j- judges sometimes can take a, quite a while to bring back a a decision either to move forward or dismiss the case or whatever. Um, of course, the main feeling is the longer we wait, the harder it is for them to make a decision to uh, dismiss it. Because if it was something dismissible, then dismiss it. But they're looking. In that case, in that case Chris, was not about counterfeiting. It was about these people's promotion as legal tender of their own minted coin. Mm-hmm. There's there's a law that says you can't promote something else other than Federal Reserve notes as legal tender. Um, and back to this question, is it procedure for the South Dakota court to at some point announce it's going forward? Yeah, but it's not etched in stone. They could take as long as they want, and uh, it would be a procedural point probably That's the easiest way to say why it would go forward is because when the government filed a motion to dismiss, they pled very broadly. It's like they just stood back and shot from the hip saying the whole thing should be dismissed and we don't have any particular reason. (laughs) And I'll bet you that if I were the judge, I would look at that and say, you know, the eight causes of action are widely varied from one another. There's three or four that concern tax law directly on point but the other four are pretty much constitutional. And so you can't just plead broadly that all of them are frivolous because they're all very uh, widely separate from each other. And you can't say, oh, it's frivolous to say I'm only named in regulation, so dismiss the whole lawsuit, when one of the other claims is uh, we want the court to declare that we're not willful because we're on record now with a statement saying we don't believe we have a duty. And we shouldn't have to live our lives in, uh, wondering if we'll be indicted when the government can't go on record with its own interpretation of the law. See how far apart those two are uh, conceptually? I'm only named in a regulation, and I shouldn't have to live life in uh, apprehension of uh, being indicted for crimes they can't prove have been committed. So, uh, yeah, they did claim uh, frivolity. Let's see, how do you feel about a class or classes in the Supreme Court brief analysis and construction? Um, you really want to get that from somebody else, and I bet you there's free courses. If you did a search on uh, YouTube, you might find one. Uh, you want those 
from somebody who's done a great deal more Supreme Court litigation than I have. Uh, no question. Uh, I can I can tell you how to write about these issues that I've briefed, but I don't pride myself on uh, having what it takes to teach uh, the ins and outs of Supreme Court pleading. Uh, there's just there's other people that are far more qualified that you should seek out. Anyway, uh, it's been fun. Uh, great head count on the call today. I appreciate your support. And uh, get the videos on the flash drive. Go to wevgov.com on the products page. And that's where you start when you see those videos where I explain the tax code on a whiteboard. Uh, you're going to know that I am without peers. Nobody has the understanding of the tax code that I have. And uh, this criminal intent uh, introduction I did at the beginning of this call, you really ought to find those cases and read them. The Morissette decision, the Alonis decision, compare the two. And uh, if you've been around much, you're going to understand right away that the government has never had to address criminal intent. They always go by the language of the statute, and uh, then it's uh, if the statute doesn't have criminal intent as one of the stated elements, they skip it. They have for decades, and they got spanked again last summer in two cases, and now people are getting their convictions overturned based on those two decisions. So, uh, and consider the state cases, state process excuse me, state prosecutors are even less competent than the federal, and so there are plenty of state convictions waiting to be overturned as well for a lack of criminal intent in the criminal complaint or the indictment or jury instructions that did not include instruction on criminal intent. So uh, if they want oral arguments in the Supreme Court, uh, I'm certain it would be easy enough for me to find an attorney that would represent the argument because it's not going to require a working knowledge of the tax code. They're going to hear the arguments probably based on ineffective counsel and void for vagueness. So I've already built the record, um, already built the record regarding those issues uh, plenty robustly for any uh, attorney that would come on board. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Okay, Chris, thanks, everybody. We'll see you Saturday on 59615. No confidence. This is David Merlin signing off. Okay, thank you, Dave. And uh, and for those who are, are on Twitter, my username is American Liberty. <laughs> they wouldn't take the IES. So it's American Liberty, T-I, at the end, and that's Twitter. And uh, because I am going to stay focused on getting this information out, and I need all your help because the law matters, and we need and we need to hold them to the law as if they like like they would like us to be uh, held to the law, except they make their own laws and they want to hold us to something that isn't law. So anyhow. With that being said, God bless America, and this call is over. Thank you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.